I am not unique in that. You are not unique in that. We all experience trauma and we all experience significant events in our lives which can really impact on our body's ability to function properly. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Hello, hello. Before we begin, I would love to share with you this review from a listener named Tums3484 on the Apple Podcast platform in Canada. It's entitled Game Changer. After being recently diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 38, this podcast is an absolute game changer. I truly feel my ADHD diagnosis was the missing piece to all my life struggles, and I have never felt more validated. For the first time in my life, I don't feel so incredibly alone. I'm so glad to read this, Tums. Thank you for taking the time to write this review. I love that these interviews can be validating and are helping you feel less alone. I still, to this day, feel the exact same way. So thanks again. And if you're a listener of this podcast and you've found it helpful and you've been meaning to leave me a review and you just haven't gotten around to it, here is your reminder to head over to Apple Podcasts or Audible and leave a review. And you can now leave feedback on individual episodes on Spotify. And if that is feeling like a little bit too much right now, and believe me, I totally get it. Remember, you can always just quickly hit those five stars. In fact, why don't you just pause right now and go do it. I promise we'll wait for you. Here we are at episode 164, in which I interview Gemma Wilson. Gemma is a 41-year-old mum of three from Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. She's a business owner and describes herself as, quote, a perfectionist and overachiever who won't settle for anything less than what I deserve. Love it. Gemma is a listener of the podcast, and she reached out to me because she wanted to share her journey through her ADHD diagnosis and its link with her diagnosis of fibromyalgia. As you may or may not know, there is a significant comorbidity between ADHD and chronic pain, including fibromyalgia. Gemma wrote to me, I have been through a huge raft of experiences with different treatments to try and get to the root cause of my pain. I have been at the depths of despair with my mental and physical health, and I honestly thought I was destined for immobility and incapacity, but somehow I have managed to find things that help. Gemma and I talk about what it's been like for her to live with chronic pain, a distressed nervous system, depression, anxiety, and ADHD, and how she has been able to find a path through it all when it comes to self-advocacy, seeking help, and avoiding burnout. I really, really appreciate Gemma sharing her story with us today, and I know you're going to love it. All right, Gemma, thank you so much for joining me. Where are you joining me from? So I am from a town called, or city called Newcastle-upon-Tyne from the north of England. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, I, gosh, I don't know where, where should we start, do you think? Should we start with your ADHD diagnosis or do you think we should start even before that with the fibromyalgia? I think the questions are probably kind of, they, they overlap so much. So the reason why I actually discovered that I had ADHD and I've, I only got diagnosed two years ago. 
was because back in 2018, I started to experience a lot of pain in my body and it was physical pain. It was pain in my back. It was in my arms and it was in my rib cage. Um, and honestly, I, I know I, I do have a tendency to dramatize and be quite dramatic. But I, at that point, I thought I was dying and I think I was 36. I went to the doctors. I went to the hospital um, I had scans. I had blood tests, everything and everything was coming back clear. And eventually um, it was just in the middle of the pandemic or just as the pandemic started in May 2020, um, I actually got diagnosed with a condition called fibromyalgia, which is a chronic pain disorder. And at the time I was like, hallelujah, there's a reason. There's a reason why I've got all of this pain. Um, I understand there's a label now. This is fantastic. I can start researching about it and looking into it in more detail. Um, but very, very quickly, I got quite disillusioned with that because while I was grateful to have a diagnosis, then I was then told there is no cure. We don't understand what causes it. Um, and therefore, there is no real treatment for the cure. So no treatment for the condition. The only thing we can do is manage your pain. And that could mean by taking really strong pain medication and um, doing some kind of counselling therapy, uh, mental health therapy, that kind of thing. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the therapy. I'm all for the therapy, but don't put me on long term pain meds because that's not the route I want to go down. So um, I began researching more and more about the condition and I actually came across an article which said that a study had been conducted with people, women with fibromyalgia, and they concluded that just under 50% of their study participants um, also had symptoms of ADHD. And that was at the age of 38, and I'm 42 now, the very first time I'd ever even considered that ADHD might be a thing that was affecting me at all. So then when I started looking at all of the, the symptoms and all of the criteria under the DSM, I was like, oh, shit, like this is this is quite a, a revelation. I was like, oh, my God, alarm bells were going off. The emotions were going round and round in my head thinking, is this the answer to everything? So, yeah, that's essentially where it started. So the pain came first. That diagnosis came first and it led me to my ADHD diagnosis because I clearly do now have ADHD. Um, I'm now diagnosed with that as of um, just under two years ago. And yeah, that's that's where I am up until today, really. So let's just backtrack a little bit. So fibromyalgia, really, nobody understands where it comes from, right? It's sort of a label that's given to a list of symptoms. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to ADHD in the way that the diagnosis really is like an explanation for some experiences, but at the same time, you know, it, it gives you that sense of the why behind a lot of things that you're feeling either, you know, the ADHD is more emotional um, and, and uh, intellectual, whereas the fibromyalgia is more physical. But it's facet like, were the two diagnoses different in terms of your reaction to one versus the other um yeah I think so I think the, the, my reaction to the fibromyalgia diagnosis initially was a great sense of relief it was a sense of relief right, right there's, a re there's a reason why there's a reason why I'm experiencing this pain and there is no nothing physically wrong with me 
with the ADHD diagnosis, it was more of an explanation as to why I have behaved in certain ways over the whole course of my life. So in ways that I had previously looked back on with a lot of shame, um, a lot of embarrassment and a lot of guilt. Whereas now I thought, actually, no, that's because I do have ADHD and that's not because I'm a bad person. I haven't done that with the intent to go out and hurt anybody or to behave in an inappropriate way. And I understand that that's part of my ADHD. So the ADHD is almost like a, I feel like the fibromyalgia or the chronic pain, as I prefer to call it, the chronic pain disorder. I feel like that was the messenger. That was the one that was saying to me, you need to go, you need to go, Gemma, and look at this and see see what this is doing to you and, and how this has affected you throughout your whole life so you can, you can move forward. And that was always my problem is I always felt incredibly stuck. I always felt that people were kind of moving further forward and faster than I was and that I wasn't achieving enough. And all my friends from school went to university and I dropped out after six weeks because I was so chronically overwhelmed by the whole situation. So it, the ADHD diagnosis was a lot more of an understanding of who I am as a person, as a whole human being. The fibromyalgia and chronic pain diagnosis was more like, like that's an indicator that this is this is something that you need to do. You need to start listening to your body. Your body's trying to tell you something. Just listen, listen, and it will tell you. So there, there is a difference. There is a difference. And I think the thing is with pain as well is pain... I understand now that there are so many women who have ADHD also suffer from chronic pain and or fibromyalgia. It is it is not, it doesn't seem to be, from the, from the small section of network that I have, there seems to be a huge amount of women who are experiencing the same thing. And a lot of people don't seem to realise it. Yeah, pain, when you are, when you get an injury and the pain that you have, that's almost like immediate and it's a protective pain and it's trying to protect you from further damage. When you have a chronic pain, it is your nervous system almost becomes overprotective. So it tries to constantly, constantly protect you from things that aren't actually real threats. So your nervous system is just firing off all of the time with no obvious trigger, no obvious reason. So yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of a revelation for me in in the in the wider sense of who I am and and I suppose also finding out what my purpose is here on this earth and what it, what is it that I've got to do in order to live my life in service of others and help others. So it's been a huge long journey in a short space of time. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I always say uh, a week in ADHD time is like a year. Yeah. <laughs> In terms of how we quickly we move now, I, now obviously I realize neither of us is a medical professional. So, but you know we are experts of ourselves. Um, I've had a similar journey in terms of of chronic physical issues that have been traced back to stress, anxiety, and burnout. Right, and so I think there is a huge connection in terms of like you said, our body starts to cry out when we are in in extended periods of anxiety and stress where our body starts to say like look we can't do this anymore and then you start to have the physical manifestations and i think there so it doesn't surprise me that there is almost half you know the the depending on the study you look at it's anywhere from 30 to 50% um overlap in terms of ADHD and fibromyalgia i know there's so much I think there's a lot of overlap in terms of, you know, joint pain and and how, you know, whatever the hormones are that are 
it's too medical for me at this point, but to get into like what the complications are in terms of um, the hormones that are being delivered in our body with a neurodivergent brain, et cetera. But I'm not even going to try to get there. But I'm curious if you, what your thoughts are in terms of just your own experience and that comorbidity. Like, what do you, why do you think there is such a huge overlap there or connection there? Well, everything that I've read um, seems to indicate that even though there is absolutely no conclusive studies as to why there is such a high prevalence of ADHD, women particularly with chronic pain, the two main theories that are out there is one is that it's kind of um, a neuroinflammation, that, that there is an inflammation in the brain. The other one is that it's a disruptive um, source of dopamine into the brain. So everything's to do with the brain. And as much as they say that the the gut is the second brain, the brain is the brain. The brain controls everything that we do. And if there's any kind of um, dysregulation or malfunction or dysfunction in some way within the brain, it is obviously connected to the nervous system. I think for me, in terms of why those two things seem to be quite well linked is from my perspective and from the stories that I've heard from other people is women with ADHD live their lives on edge. We live our lives constantly, or I certainly do, constantly thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I being inappropriate? Um, is this person going to receive me well? For example, for me, I ask a lot of questions and that is not because I'm rude, but that's because I need to understand what the situation is. But then when I'm asking a lot of questions, I'm thinking, God, is this person thinking I'm being really rude? And that's that's a stress. You put it putting that stress on your body. Um, and if your nervous system is con constantly overwhelmed, it is going to find ways to show you that it's overwhelmed. Um, one of the other things is, is I think I have certainly felt that I have been incredibly disconnected from my body probably since early childhood. So I've never actually understood what it means. You know, when people who do yoga and meditation say you feel grounded, grounded. And I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what does grounded mean? Like, I haven't got a clue what that means. My body's just this vessel that kind of moves around in manic chaos until I need it to really focus on something and then it stops. So I think if you are not truly connected with your body and by by connecting with your body, I mean feeling feeling that you have an actual skeleton, feeling that you have um, muscles and ligaments surrounding those and being able to feel that if you're not connected to that, you are constantly going to be searching from the from the outer externals for things that make you feel better rather than feeling confident and safe and structured in the way that you are. That's certainly something that's really, really affected me and something that I'm trying to work on hard now. Has the ADHD revelation helped with the chronic pain at all? You know, it, or, uh, you know I, know, I don't know if you're on medication, but like what sort of strategies have you worked with in terms of the chronic pain that AD, an ADHD diagnosis may have helped with? Okay, so in terms of ADHD medication, I did try it. I tried it. I tried three different kinds over the space of six months. But the problem for me was each medication came with its own side effects that weren't right for me. Um, so, you know, like high blood pressure, all of that kind of thing. The final one seemed to be okay. The third and final one that I tried seemed to be okay. However, 
what it, it seemed to be okay in terms of physical symptoms and physical side effects. However, the main thing for me, all I ever wanted the medication, the ADHD meds to do was to turn that dial down, just turn it down just a little bit, stop it kind of like whirring at a million miles an hour. But what it did instead was it just turned me off. So I almost became um, selectively, selectively mute is what I was. I didn't talk. I didn't engage. Uh, it was it wasn't a nice experience at all. Um, so I just came off it and thought, right, I need to find some alternative ways to try and manage both my ADHD and my chronic pain. Um, and if I can find something that addresses them both, then fantastic. So I've actually been on a huge journey um, over the last four to five years of trying various different things. Because prior to the chronic pain and the ADHD, I had been diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorder and I'd had eating disorders. So there'd always been a mental health um, issue that was going on. So the things that I've tried over the years, um, natural supplements, trying to make sure that I'm supplementing my body properly with all of the nutrients that it needs. And they've worked out wonders and they've worked really, really well. Um, I've also tried things like quite alternative methods like ayahuasca. So the plant medicine, I don't know if you've ever heard of ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the ayahuasca, I went on an ayahuasca retreat. It didn't work out particularly well for me because I just wasn't willing to let go at all. Everything was just so tightly controlled inside. And I was like, I'm not letting go. I'm not going to. Because you can vomit during the course of the ceremony. You can purge, as they call it. I was like, that's not happening to me. I'm keeping tight control of everything. So I tried that. Um, I've also tried yoga. I've tried Pilates. Um, I've tried exercise. I've also tried things like parasite cleanses, which I'm doing at the moment, trying to get rid of parasites in the gut, which can also affect because if your gut health's not right, then your brain health isn't right. Um, but the main thing, there's two main things for me is the first one is I actually came up with so when, when I was having a real chronic pain flare, and I've been very fortunate that the past six months, up until the last couple of days, I have had, I would say, 90% pain-free days, which is amazing because prior to that, I could not tell you whether I was going to be in bed for the day or whether I was going to be up and about with my kids. So the last six months have been amazing. I've had a little bit of a blip over the last couple of days, but... I know what to do now. And one of those main things is, is think with the ADHD brain, once you are in the, in the throes of a chronic pain attack or chronic pain flare, the one thing that you want to do is you want to protect yourself from pain and protecting yourself from pain quite often leads to isolation. And with isolation and withdrawing from the people that you need to be around takes away that joy, takes away the rewards of life. And as you know, like we are all seeking dopamine every every second of every minute of the day. So you've got the chronic pain bringing you down. Because of the chronic pain, you're not actually doing anything to feed the dopamine need. So that brings you further down. So what I've done is I've created what I call my pain day values list. And within that, I look at sort of like what I consider to be the fundamental needs of people human beings really so it's inclusion occupation it's love attachment um identity and purpose so i look at those things and i think like okay what of what 
can I do on a pain day when I'm feeling particularly bad, where I want to withdraw, I don't want to speak to anybody, that kind of thing. What kind of things can I do within that that give me that dopamine reward so I'm not feeling like I'm on a downward spiral down over and then I'm still getting some of that injection and input of reward. So I have I have a list um, and my list is very simple. So my sense of purpose, I need to feel like I have a sense of purpose every single day. If that means to satisfy that on my pain day, that all I do is I feed the pets, so feed the dog and feed the cat, then that's it, tick. I've fulfilled my purpose of being a mum running a house. And if that's all I can do that day, then tick. But if it's a slightly better pain day, I might go, oh, I could actually go and do some food shopping and just get a small shop in for the week. And that's a big tick of sense of purpose because that fulfills me. Other things around like inclusion, um, it's really important to me to feel part of my family. And it's important for me to feel like I am um, a mum to my three kids. So if I have a pain day, which is keeping me in bed, I go, no, you need to feel this sense of inclusion. Get up and spend 20 minutes with your kids. And then after, after that 20 minutes, you want to go back to bed, go back to bed. But I've had to put that structure in place in order to help me survive those pain days, because otherwise it is so easy just to drop off the face of a cliff if I haven't got any of those inputs. This episode is brought to you by ADHD Online, the only online source I trust for clinically comprehensive evaluations and treatment for ADHD. With ADHD Online's one-of-a-kind assessment, you can start your assessment when you're ready, complete it on your schedule, and get your results from a licensed psychologist in three to five days. Not only will you learn whether or not you have ADHD, you'll also get information about your risk levels for anxiety and depression and other related conditions. ADHD Online believes that mental health care should be streamlined and accessible, so they offer their assessment at a fraction of the price you would pay for traditional evaluations and treatment. Get the help you need without breaking the bank or waiting months or even years for an in-person office visit. As a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can save $20 off your assessment. Simply head to ADHDonline.com slash podcast and use code WOMENADHD20 at checkout. Again, that's ADHDonline.com slash podcast and use code WOMENADHD20 to save $20 when you book your assessment. You can find that link in the episode show notes. At ADHD Online, your comprehensive care is just a click away. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop Earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop Earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop Earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft, hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. If you have ADHD, it can often feel overwhelming to find the right treatment. 
And then when you finally do get an appointment with your local clinician, there's no guarantee that they will have the adequate background or understanding of ADHD in adults, especially in women. You might end up leaving that appointment more confused and disheartened than when you entered. That's where Dunn comes in. Dunn is an online ADHD care platform that can get you all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. With experienced clinicians who know exactly what to look for, you can start getting personalized care as soon as today or tomorrow. Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Dunn for just $79 a month and pharmacy co-pays as low as $0. Visit get.dunnfirst.com podcast to learn more. Again, that's get.dunnfirst.com podcast. Done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Oh, gosh, I so deeply related to that sense uh, when you were talking about that sense of, of withdrawal, right? And that that how it really just exacerbates a lot of the issues. I have, yeah, I really, I'm going to take a page from your pain day values list. I'm going to create one of those because I have those too, right? And it really, I just, you know, and you had even said at the beginning of this episode, which I was about to, or at the beginning of this interview, which I was going to flag you on, um, but I was like, no, I'll put my coach hat away. But you had said, you had um, said that you sort of dismiss, dismissed yourself as being, having a flair for the traumatic, right? And I'm like, well, where does that come from? Who says so? Because I think a lot of that, you know, a lot of that comes with this feeling of like not wanting to complain, right? Or people have heard me complain before. I don't even want to hear me complain anymore, right? And so it's like getting tired of my own and depression somebody's like you know it it becomes like you you isolate yourself from even seeking help and support because it can be tiring to always feel like you need it in those moments but i also realize that like there is a, through these journeys especially going to medical professionals there is that kind of sense that well how bad is this right like you always have to question am i playing this up am i being dramatic how bad is this can i live with this and really having to draw that line in the sand and say like, no, I'm worth not feeling this way, which I think is a really difficult place to get to as a woman, especially, and as a wife and a mother and all of those things. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'll tell you a short story. So back in um, February of this year, the family and I had just come back from a holiday. We've been to Mexico. So for us, that's quite a long haul flight. It's about an eight hour flight. We'd come back and within a few days, I started really experiencing the chronic pain in my back and my shoulders, but mostly across my chest and down my arms. So I hadn't sought any medical advice or attention on my chronic pain for a number of years before that because I kind of knew what it was and I knew like that I just needed to keep pushing forward. But on this occasion, I decided to go to, we have walk-in clinics here where um, instead of your doctor, your community doctor or the AA, you can go to a walk-in clinic. I went to the walk-in clinic, I explained my symptoms, and even though I explained I do have a diagnosis of fibromyalgia, because I had the chest pain and the pain in my arms, it was straight to the emergency department to get seen to. So I went to the emergency department and um, explained all of my symptoms, waited for hours, it was like a six-hour wait to be seen. All of this time, I'm panicking and I'm catastrophizing, thinking this is more than just the fibromyalgia, there's something actually physically wrong with me. I had blood tests done, which were all clear, and the doctor brought me in and she said, there's one more blood test we can do. 
she said, if it would help your anxiety. Well, that annoyed me straight away. If it would help my anxiety. No, I'm telling you there's something physically wrong with me and you need to believe me. So yes, do the blood test, please. (laughs) So she did the blood test. The blood test was called a D-dimer. And it was to identify whether there was any um, blood clotting issues within the system. So the test came back within 20 minutes and it identified that I did have a blood clot issue, which would tie in with the long haul flight because obviously long haul flights can cause uh, blood clotting issues, can cause deep vein thrombosis in the leg. They could travel up to the heart and the lungs and they could kill you like that. So again, my brain was really thinking of all of these things that could happen. So once that test came back positive, um, they took me in, the nurse took me into a room, gave me an injection of a blood thinner into my stomach and asked me to come back the following day for a full um, CT scan on all of my lungs. And I was like, like, great, fine. Obviously, I was a little bit panicky thinking, oh, my God, if I've got a blood clot, like what could happen? Went back the following day. They had the CT scan spoke to the doctor a number of times, explained my history with depression, anxiety, ADHD, da, 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 all of that. And when the CT scan came back clear, the doctor said to me, you need to go away and think about going back on your antidepressants. I absolutely lost it, not in, a, in an aggressive way, but I broke my heart because my husband was with me at the time. And even he was saying to me, Gemma, it's fine. You haven't got a blood clot. You're fine. You're okay. And I'm like, but I am not fine. I am experiencing such chronic pain that it is making me so, so upset and ill and fearful. And I'm being told by a medical professional to go and take some antidepressants. The antidepressants are not going to take away my chronic pain. We know that I've been there. I've done it. And I think that what you mentioned before about feeling dismissed is the medical model is fantastic. It saves lives every single day of the year, every minute of the day. It is incredible, but it is so hugely limited in terms of what it can do with people with chronic pain. And I think that's where my mission is now. My mission is to try and help people who are experiencing this chronic pain that can't be explained through physical ways or scans or blood tests and help them kind of find a path through that because I feel like I've found mine. My path is, it's not finished by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm in a bit of a chronic pain flare at the moment, but I'm on that journey now. Whereas three years ago, I didn't even know where to start it. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come on here today to talk to you. And I love what you do so much because you talk to so many people about so many different aspects of it. But this is my mission now. My mission is to help those people experiencing chronic pain and realise that they can live a life again. So, yeah, I went off a bit there, didn't I? Sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, that's what we do here. (laughs) But I think connecting the dots is so important too, right? And I think one of the things that is so frustrating to us, to so many of us who were diagnosed with depression and anxiety, is the lack of curiosity in medical professionals and the sort of lack of interest in getting back to the source. And, you know, there are there are certainly doctors out there who will go through that with you. But for the most part, you get 15 minutes and, you know, they want to prescribe you something as quickly as possible. And it's very rare to have uh, to have a medical professional who is willing to, you know, look under all of the rocks with us uh, as we do ourselves. And so that alone can be really isolating as well, just feeling like, 
well, if nobody else is curious, am I on the wrong path? You start to doubt yourself, right? And so, yeah, just to be able to sort of talk about these connections and and the fact that it's quite common, you know, it's actually very common. So, you know, just to realize, okay, well, maybe I'm onto something and maybe I should start to tune in more and listen to myself more, um, I think is so important. And I think it's something with those of us with ADHD for so many reasons, are prone not to listen to ourselves because from childhood, right? We're told every our approach to thinking is wrong. Our approach to relationships is wrong. And so we start to, it's drilled out of us to really tune into our own wisdom. I'm sounding very woo right now, but I feel like, you know, I think that is so important to say like, yeah, no, I am feeling this experience. Like I am feeling this pain. We need to keep going. We need to keep advocating. And it's so tiring and it's so frustrating. So yeah, I think, Hearing these stories and to press on, I think, can be so important and helpful. Now, you said you're writing a book, too. Yes. Yeah. So I am in the middle of writing it. Like I said before, I think pain is very personal. There's no one person that can tell you how you experience or feel your pain. But what I do want to do is I want to share my experiences through what I've done and the reason why I feel like I have chronic pain and, and the methods that I've used, some of them are like, like you say, they're a bit woo and they're a bit like, whoa, they're a bit out there. Like, come on, like get your feet on the ground, girl, and uh, <laughs> be a bit realistic. But they're funny. Some of them are funny and humorous. And some of them have been really, really helpful. Um, there's one particular thing that's really, really helped me which is um, I went on holiday to a town called Brighton in the UK, which is about a seven and a half, eight hour drive from where we live in the north of England. And we'd been to London for a few days before that, me and the three kids and my husband. And by the time we got to Brighton, my back, my lower back was killing me. Like, you know, when you've walked so much and your lower back's just like, uh, uh, uh. I was like, right, I'm going to Google. I'm going to find a massage therapist. I just need somebody to sort me out. So I Googled, was really um, drawn in by the name of this particular um, massage person, got in touch with her, took an Uber to her house, found out that she wasn't really a massage therapist. What she was, she has created her own system, which is the best way for me to describe it is almost like a functional gate alignment system. It's a functional skeleton alignment system. So how to get your body and all of the individual joints moving in the way that they should. And within each of those individual movements that she shows you, there can be a release of tension and a release of stress that is stored within the body. And that whole that whole concept of mind-body medicine, I know it's been around for a few years, but it's still so much in its infancy. And what she does in terms of helping me, because I still stay in touch with her, I have, I have um, video sessions with her like once a month. And what she does with me is she, she that system itself has really helped with my ADHD sy- symptoms. So one of the things she noticed when she first met me was if I was sat talking to somebody, I would lean forward all the time. And she was like, you're collapsing forward because you're going at the world a million miles an hour. And I was like, mm, I haven't even told you anything about me. And that is so right. So she was like, we're going to get you actually standing up straight. So I've had to practice it and, and, I, and I still have to practice it daily. And I'm sure I'll have to do it for every day for the rest of my life. And so 
it, it that has just been incredible. So, so enlightening for me and my ADHD and also my chronic pain. Um, that's fantastic. So I've put a lot, a lot in the book about her as well and about her system, which is called the Ixchel system, I-X-C-H-E-L, Ixchel system. Um, she's based in Brighton um, and she's just had her course, her, what she's developed accredited. So she's delivering it. She's in the process of training practitioners to go and deliver it in other places because it's something that's really missing in the world. So, yeah, I talk about a lot, of, a lot about her in the book. I talk a lot about as well about my emotional trauma as well, because if you want to get to the root cause of something, let's let's go back to when we're kids. Let's go back to when our brains were just developing and we were just learning how to be in this world. And let's go back to the things that have happened to us. So I've talked a lot in the book about that because I am not unique in that. You are not unique in that. We all experience trauma and we all experience significant events in our lives which can really impact on our body's ability to function properly so that's been the main thing for me is sharing my story letting people see that I am just this flawed human being who doesn't have all the answers but wants to help others and I think that's where I want to go with it I just want to help other people that's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, one of the reasons why I love asking my guests about, you know, looking back at your childhood and earlier times in your life after your diagnosis in adulthood, like what were some of those, those moments where you say, oh, the signs were there all along. I think it's an important question because so many, especially in the UK, you know, there's such an emphasis on on evidence of ADHD in childhood, right? They want your parents to come in. They want to see your school reports. Like there's a real, that's a huge con- component of, of a diagnosis in the UK and not as much in the US, but oftentimes there isn't evidence in childhood because of masking, right? Because of compensation, because of being bright, because of being overlooked. So there's so, you know, so it really, we taking a look at like, what does this look like in girls? I think is so important to break this cycle of, of waiting until adulthood and waiting until we absolutely collapse until we get this diagnosis. And yet there's so many, I feel like so many of us have significant traumatic events in our childhood as well, right? So there's got, you know, there's such that I find is a fascinating link. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think <laughs> I think it's really like why this diagnosis can be so life-changing and so helpful is to look back at like, where did this all begin? And while there's a lot of grief there, I think it also, you know, it could be like, well, how can I help my children, right? How can I help other girls and women who you know don't need to get to their forties until they're until they're diagnosed. Now, how old are your kids? Are any of them diagnosed as well? So I have three boys. Um, I have a seventeen-year-old, a um, six-year-old, and a five-year-old. Um, none of them are diagnosed. The middle boy is possibly. However, I haven't gone down the route of any assessments with them yet because we are actually in the process of changing his schools. And I wanted him to settle into a new school and see what the new school could observe. Do you know what I mean? I kind of, it can be quite an intense process to put a kid through that. And I didn't want to do that without feeling that, I suppose, again, it's this thing of where I'm always questioning myself. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing by getting him an assessment for, I don't think necessarily ADHD, I think possible autism. Mm-hmm. And I worry that I think, oh, am I doing the right thing? Because he's got to then go through that process. And what if I'm wrong? 
what if I'm giving him a, a label that isn't going to be helpful to him? You know, all of those questions that I just ask myself on a daily basis. But he is in the process of changing school. So I'm going to allow the new school to observe him from their perspective and see what they think. While I have a lot of confidence in probably advocating for myself, I am always questioning whether I'm doing the right thing by my children because I don't want them to have the childhood that I had. I don't want them to have that feeling of fear, of stress, of self-doubt. This is making me quite emotional, but it's one of, it's something that, that really does worry me and, and it does affect me. So any decision making to do with my children, obviously my husband is fantastic. I could not exist in this life without him. <laughs> but I worry that I'm, I always worry I'm making the wrong decision. Always, 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 always. Have I done that right? Is he going to grow up and is he going to be in therapy like I am at 42 saying, God, I hate my mother. She did this and she did that. Like, <laughs> constantly stressing about what what it is that I'm doing. Like if I lose my temper one day and I've lost control of the situation. I think, right, that's one for the future therapy book. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I always tell myself my children are going to be in therapy no matter what. So uh, it it doesn't matter, you know. uh, And and I remember I would joke about that too. And I had once when I was was interviewing a therapist and I was joking about how my kids are going to be in therapy no matter what I do. And she was like, that's good. You want your kids to be in therapy. Like, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I've I've had this conversation with my mum even, like I've said to my mum, everybody should be in therapy. There is absolutely no reason why there's a single person on this planet who couldn't benefit from talking to someone, even about the shit day that they've just had. Do you know what I mean? Talking to that independent person. But therapy is such a new thing here in the UK. Like it feels like it's my generation and younger who are starting to really see and reap the benefits of it. My parents' generation are like, oh, no, 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 no. You stiff up a lip and have a cup of tea and no, it's fine. Everybody's going to be OK. <laughs> no, you're not. You all messed up in the head. You <laughs> I know you're right. I'm like, like, where did that get us? You know, I totally relate to the idea of of the constant chronic self-doubt. I have it all the time. I joke about the fact that I've had this podcast for almost three years at this point and still have uh, many days where I'm like, did I get this all wrong? Do I not have ADHD? Do we, do none of us have ADHD? Are we talking about something else? And and the same with my kids, right? Both of my kids were diagnosed after me. And it's the same where I'm like, am I leading us all? Am I some sort of deranged Pied Piper who is leading us all down this path? And, you know, and I've also spoken very openly about how like with, with my daughter who's in high school, we've gotten her uh, 504, her, we've been open about her diagnosis in school. But with my son, who's still in middle school, we've been very nervous about that because we don't know how he's going to be treated by his teachers and the administrators because there's so much stigma around it right and so a lot of our a lot of this comes down to in the home right which is like i feel like an adhd diagnosis is really a diagnosis of, of self concept right it's a radical a radically different way of viewing who you are in this world and how there's nothing wrong with you and so that is where I think parenting and the conversation around ADHD and and how wonderful a gift it can be is so important, right? Which is like, how do we uplift our children 
and and work on the self-concept and the self-acceptance because that's where the depression and the anxiety and the shame comes from in adulthood. So for me, I'm like, if we can work on that at home and we can teach our kids to advocate for themselves, regardless of whether they're open about their ADHD or not, advocating for yourself is what's important, right? Like believing you're worth the support, like we were talking about before, that's all the important stuff. Uh, and that's sort of what we can do as parents is to just stop that narrative of what's wrong with you, do better, you know, stiff upper lip, all of that. And, and so I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing either. I've never parented kids before. So I'm like, we're just all winging it, right? Like, <laughs> Like, that's what I always say to my 16 year old. I'm like, I've never parented a 16 year old before. So we're both going through this for the first time. Yes, I was was just going to say that that reminds me of something that's going on recently. So my my 17 year old son, he is just finished um, a year of A-levels here, which is like a sixth form college. Um, So he's finished a year of A-levels and he just got his results last week and he's passed all of his AS levels, so like half an A-level. But we've been having discussions for quite some time. You don't need to go back. Like, if you don't like it, you don't need to go back. He's never enjoyed school. He's, he's, he, ha- he has got ADHD, ADHD traits, shall I say, in terms of, like, inattentiveness. If it's not exciting, he's not interested. Um, he's never been one for homework. He just doesn't do it. He's just not – in school, has not been for him, and school doesn't fit everybody. And I think – what has been quite interesting for me, me looking back on me as a 17-year-old and then now me parenting a 17-year-old, the difference is so stark. Like the expectation for me was like, you get your A-levels, you get good grades and you go to university, you get a good job and then you get married, you have children, you buy a house, all of that kind of thing. Whereas the way that my um, approach to things is changing is I've said to my son, You're, you are not a tree. You are not a tree. You don't have roots firmly placed where you are. You can lift yourself up and you can move on somewhere else and do something different. So it's taken some months for me to kind of get him to understand what I'm talking about. But he's agreed. He's like, yeah, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm going to go to college and do something completely different. And I'm like, great, fantastic, because it's a totally different concept now. Like, let's stop putting these expectations on kids ADHD or not, that they have to do things a certain way. You can do it whatever way you bloody well want to. Do it whatever way you want to. And I'm not going to hold any judgment if you decide to do it a completely different way for me. So, yeah, I get it. I get it. I think that's probably one of the the positive sides of it, of me feeling actually, no, I'm giving my my eldest child a, a bit more freedom and he can spread his wings a little bit. But then the other side, like you say, is that chronic self doubt of going, oh my God, have I done the right thing? (laughs) <laughs> oh parenting is so yeah. fun. <laughs> it's what a ride eh? what a ride hey friend if there's one thing i've learned about adhd over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability planning coaching and peer support knowing all this i set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with adhd or learning disabilities i knew i couldn't do it alone so i joined forces with one of my favorite adhd coaches alex gilbert of capable consulting and together we launched the adhd lounge the lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media where we offer live group calls co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability focus 
practice and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, It's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. But, but, you know, my husband and I have this conversation a lot uh, with my daughter getting ready for university, which is, you know, he gets very wrapped up in like, if she doesn't take this particular class, then she can't take the next class. And then all is lost. And all, you know, if we don't get her set up now for success, then everything will be terrible for the rest of her life. And he gets really wrapped up in that mentality. And I'm sort of like, I'm living proof of the fact that you don't know what you have. You have no idea what you're going to do. I dropped out of high school. I dropped out of university. Like I didn't take any of those paths and I feel like I'm doing okay. And then we have that awkward silence of like, wait, do you feel like I'm doing okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But still that idea that there's so many different ways to finding happiness and and success, however you want to, however you want to label it. So I think, yeah, I think as a parent, it is really important to to let our kids feel like, I love the tree metaphor too. I think ADHDers have a real gift for analogy and, and metaphor, but so I really like the tree one. <laughs> really, right? To be like, look, you're, there's nothing you do at the age of 16 or 17 is going to dictate the rest of your life. Um, you know, save some grievous, maybe errors that we may have got <laughs> narrow misses, thankfully. But yeah, anyway, I think the overarching point that, you know, there's there's a lot that's open to you and and there's so many more ways to look at a situation, which I think is a real is a neurodivergent gift for sure. Right. Is being able to sort of think outside the box. Uh, now, you had mentioned at one 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 of the notes in our back and forth, you had talked about the word superpower and and. I want to know your thoughts on it because it's one of those words that can be kind of divisive. And I'm always, I always go back and forth on it myself. So what do you think about the term superpower? I'm like you. I have, I have attached myself to the word superpower a lot. And then within the next day gone, that's ridiculous. (laughs) So I've been like on a pendulum swing with the word superpower. But I think that also fits in with ADHD, doesn't it? Being all or nothing, like there's no kind of like balance. I think if I was to give a really balanced 
response to it. I think that there are elements of my ADHD that I really like and that I I wouldn't want to get rid of, and which is one of the reasons why I stopped taking the medication when it just pushed that mute button. I was like, I don't want to be mute. Like part of my personality is how I talk and how I communicate. It's how I convey my passion to people. It's how I tell people I love them. Um, and why would I want to get rid of that? I I can be quite intense to some people, but within that is an intention of love, um, an intention of wanting to share my life with people. It comes from nowhere but a good place in my heart. So in terms of a superpower, I think, I don't know whether I would call it a superpower. I think I would just call it the the more positive aspects of my ADHD. It doesn't necessarily make me a super human being. It just makes me a nice person. And that's all I want to be. I just want to be somebody who people think, oh, she's really nice. Like she she listens and she cares and um and that's what I want. That's what I want out of life. I don't I would it would break me if anybody thought I'd been rude to them or mean in any way that that would really upset me. I just want to be a good person. And I think every step of the way that I go through on my journey is a little I'm a little bit one step closer to finding out if there's any way I can be an even better person today. However, superpower. I think the one major thing that is probably the bit that other people look at is something that I'm really good at and is my ability to work at a really fast pace and get good work done. If I am in the zone, you can't talk to me. I will have people coming up to me and talking to me and I will like, I'll ignore you because I'm in the zone and I'm getting this shit done, whether you like it or not. And it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. (laughs) So I suppose in a way there is, it is a bit of a superpower because it's like, as much as I can't regulate my attention to taking all of the external inputs, actually the result at the end of it is something pretty damn good. And that is worth being proud of. So, yeah, I've covered all bases there, haven't I? I've covered them all. (laughs) (laughs) No, I completely agree. And and I think I was thinking about Sari Solden because one of the things that she writes about a lot is, is looking at ourselves as a whole person, right? So you have tremendous strengths and you have weaknesses and that that's what makes you a whole person and the weaknesses don't cancel out the strengths and the strengths don't cancel out the weaknesses but to be able to look at both sides of that pendulum with equal appreciation and grace and kindness and to you know to realize that you know that they do feel very much um like like yin yang right like i feel like for the there's there's a different side of every every weakness i have has a positive uh side to it and every superpower i have has you know a weak side to it you know i'm i love doing again people always say they're like i can't believe how much you do and i you know when i'm excited i do so much but i'm also like chronically burnt out (laughs) and and you know and we talk you know talking about chronic pain and all of that like that is i think for many of us a side effect of how hard we push ourselves. And it's not necessarily like, I don't feel like I always push myself out of duty or, 
you know, um, fear or anxiety, I push myself out of excitement and wanting to do all the things. And that's the one I have a really hard time pulling back on where I'm like, what? I don't want to let go of anything because I love all these things. But I also realize I'm on a speeding train toward burnout. Anyway, that idea that she talks about a lot, which has been so profoundly transformative for me, and just is, is that you can be phenomenal and still need support, right? And so then I think about like, yeah, you're right. Like CEOs of companies aren't worrying about whether their bedrooms are clean, right? Like, <laughs> like it seems kind of ridiculous the things, how much emphasis we place on our weaknesses in the face of so many phenomenal strengths. And But I also think that we have to surround ourselves with people who support our strengths as well. And it always breaks my heart when I when I hear women talking about their sp- how their spouses treat them, right? Or or being in situations where their uh, their bosses or you know just important people in their life are perpetuating this narrative that they are terrible. Because I feel like that. God, I'm like, how do you get out of that one? That's that's a really tough one. So anyway, that got took a dark turn, but <laughs> I'm very grateful. You know, I think surrounding yourself with the people who recognize your strengths is such an important part of of living as a neurodivergent human. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Right? Well, I'm super excited about the book. So please keep in touch. It sounds amazing. And I'd love to support you when it comes out, or I'd love to hear more about it as, as the journey goes. But thank you so much for sharing your story. This has been, I don't think we've, I've talked about this much in terms of chronic pain and fibromyalgia. And I think there is really yeah, a very fascinating connection. And hopefully um, more medical providers will be curious about it and the narrative will start to change in terms of treatment. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to meet you, Katie. Oh, it's been so lovely to meet you. I'm glad we could finally, we, we've been trying to make this happen for, I guess, almost two years at this point. Right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Got there in the end. <laughs> Uh, Well, I'm glad we finally did. Thank you so much, Gemma. Me too. Thanks, Katie. Bye. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then.